Well, good morning. Very warm welcome to you. It's nice to see you on this uh, bright, sunny Sunday morning. And uh, we worship together on a second Sunday now in Lent. And as we come to worship God, may you know his loving presence with you. Our call to worship comes from Psalms 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So let's worship God as we sing our first hymn, Come, Now is the Time to Worship, Mission Praise number 1040, and we'll sing it through twice. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can come and worship you and thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came from heaven to show us your amazing love for us. We thank you that Jesus died for us to set us free from the power of sin and death and evil and that he came to life again, bringing us hope and the promise of new life through faith in him. We thank you also for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who assures us that we are your children and who comforts and strengthens us to live for you and helps us to share the good news of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have strayed from following your way of love and truth. Help us to live to please you and to consider each other's needs. Speak to us through your holy word that we may hear the truth and follow you always. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Well, before we have our, our talk this morning, there's some, uh, and someone new's come with us. Now, this is Stanis. Stanley, welcome Stanley, it's very nice to see you, very nice to see you, yes. Ah. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be here this morning and uh, whether we're new today, we're recently new or whether we've been here a long time, we're thinking today about um, how God wants us to be kind and um, how uh, in the Bible that we have various stories of people who were kind and showed God's love to one another. And uh, when we're thinking of uh, people, maybe our favorite people, I'm sure that in our list of favorite people, there are probably people that have been kind to us and loving towards us. Those are people we like to be around. Well, our, our Bible story is from the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible, and it's from the book of Ruth. And it begins in the land of Israel. And there was a famine at the time. And uh, that meant that there was not much food to go around. And so uh, a man called Elimelech um, took his wife Naomi and their two sons, Mavon and Julian, to live in the country of Moab, where there was more food at that point. And the family lived there for 10 years. But uh, unfortunately, well, the, the, the sons got married um, to local young women from Moab, but very sadly, Naomi's husband and both her sons got very sick and died. And Naomi was very, very sad. And after this, she decided it was right to go home to Israel. Now, Naomi loved her daughters-in-law, um, but she said to them, um, to Orpah and Ruth, she said, um, you stay here with your own people and your own gods, and you will find new husbands here. But I must go back home to my own country and God. So her daughter-in-law Orpah went back to her own people, and they said goodbye there. But Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, wouldn't leave Naomi because she loved her so much. And she said to Naomi, I'm going to go wherever you go, and I will worship your God, and your people will be my people, your family will be my family. And uh, so Ruth left her own country and her family because she loved Naomi and she loved God. And so they arrived back in Bethlehem, which was the, um, that's the hometown of Naomi, and it was at time of harvest of the barley. And uh, each day, uh, Ruth went to pick up the leftovers of the barley in the, in the fields. That was, that was something that uh, people who didn't have very much were allowed to do. They could pick up at the sides of the fields the, the leftovers. And um, she was working hard in the field of a man called Boaz, who happened to be a distant relative of Naomi. And Boaz told his workers to leave plenty of barley for Ruth to pick up. And when she got home to Naomi, uh, uh, she said, God has really looked after us. And Naomi said, well, when, when she found out that which field, she asked Ruth, which field were you in? And she found out it was in the field of Boaz. She said, well, my relative Boaz has been very kind to us. And she, they both thanked God for looking after them in that time of their needs. Well, in our story, it was, a, it was a very difficult time for Naomi, um, and her daughter-in-law showed kindness and love by staying with her um, and going back to Naomi's homeland. And then when Ruth was picking the barley for them, Boaz was very kind to them um, to allow Ruth to be there and to give her more than um, would have normally given to her. And each of them showed love and kindness as God wants us to do. And so 
Maybe for this, this coming week, I wonder if you can think, is there someone that you can show some kindness to? And maybe you can pray about that and ask, ask God, well, how can I show kindness to this person that's maybe on my, my mind or my heart this week? So let's pray now and thank God for his kindness to us and ask him to help us to be kind to others as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your kindness and your love for us that you give us so much and that you have given us your son um, to be our friend and savior. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide us this week uh, to help us to know how we can be kind to uh, one another and guide us into who you want us to be kind to, who is on our heart at the moment. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now, uh, God Who Made the Earth. Let's uh, bring our prayers for others to God now. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you care for us, that you provide for us, and we thank you for the gift of prayer and that you invite us to care for others through um, our actions and our words and also our prayers. Uh, we thank you that um, it says in your word that our prayers are powerful and effective and Lord, we ask that uh, you would um, help us to pray today and to continue to pray for the needs of our world. And Lord, we pray for the work of your church here and around the world. We ask that you would renew us with your life-giving spirit and help us to follow our Lord Jesus more closely, um, to reach out to seek the lost, to share the good news, and to bring your comfort and healing. Sovereign Lord, we pray for peace to come to those places affected by war and violence. We pray for your solutions to the difficult challenges that face the nations of the world. And we remember the people and places that you have laid on our hearts at this time. Living Lord, we bring before you those with particular needs and ask that your presence be especially close to them. We think of those who are bereaved, those who are ill, those who await treatment, and those who are in any kind of pain. Bring your healing, your comfort, and your peace, we pray. And for those known to us in any kind of need, whom we name in the silence, we ask that you would meet them at their point of need and give them your grace and strength and peace through our Lord Jesus. Eternal God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us throughout our lives and we give you thanks that your love for us never ends. Give us grace to be your faithful servants and to bring glory to Christ 
our Lord, in all that we do. We thank you for those known to us and those dear to us who have shared the faith and who now live in your nearer presence. Grant that we may share with all your saints in your everlasting kingdom, in the great banquet feast of our Savior, who gave his life for us so that we might live with you forever. For all your goodness and kindness, we give our thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We continue our worship as we sing now our next hymn, Be Still, My Soul. Today's Bible reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22 
through Mark chapter 9, verse, till verses 1. <clears throat> Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus predicts his death. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. May God bless us through these words. Let us continue singing hymn number four, God I Look to You, from Mission Praise 1276. Looking, looking at Jesus. So we all know about the passage where the disciples see Jesus walking on the water and Peter calls out that if you are Jesus, then let me also walk on water. And he steps out in faith, but we see that very soon when he turns away and looks at the wind and the waves, he starts drowning and that is when Jesus stretches out his hand and pulls him out. So all I want to say is that our situations, our circumstances, our sicknesses or whatever we are going through, they might seem to be overwhelming for us and we might be drowning in them. But all I want to remind us this morning, let us just look to Jesus and he is the only one who can lift us out of any and every circumstance. So let's all rise as we sing this hymn, God I look to you. from 
not my strength I will love you Lord my shield I will love you Lord my rock forever all my days I will love you God God I look to you God I look to you I won't be overwhelmed give me Just what to do I will love you Lord my strength And I will love you Lord my shield I will love you Lord my rock Forever all my days I will love you Lord I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever all my days, I will love you, God. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Hallelujah, Jesus reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns forever all my days. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our help, that you lift us up. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which uh, brings us life and hope. And we ask that you would help us to meet with you now as we, um, as we consider your word, as we uh, look into it further. We pray that by your Spirit you may speak into our hearts and our minds, uh, that you would open the eyes of our understanding to all that you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever is going on in our own lives, we can reach out and uh, have your hand to lift us up. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to leave any burdens with you now and focus on all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our Bible reading today begins with a story of Jesus healing a man who was blind. And in some ways, it's quite an unusual story of healing among all the many stories recorded in the Gospels. And it's unusual in that we might expect that Jesus would heal the man in one simple step by touching the man's eyes with his hands, for example. But that's not the way that it happens. Instead, Jesus spits on the man's eyes, which in itself sounds quite strange. I wonder if in our familiarity with the Gospels, we might miss the fact that God often works in ways that we might not expect or even find a bit out of our comfort zones. Who would have thought that God's son would do such a thing? But there we have it. Jesus spits on the man's eyes and the healing process begins as he puts his hands on him. The spitting, however, isn't the only unusual and unexpected part of this healing story. 
Because when Jesus asked the man, do you see anything? Well, we might have thought, well, this is Jesus. Of course, the man will be healed right away. But that's not what happens. The man says, uh, well, he, he can't. Uh, he can see a bit, but he can't see clearly straight away. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Well, I know um, in the morning before I put my glasses on, I can see things close quite clearly, but further away, uh, things aren't so clear. At breakfast, Rosie and I uh, might look out the back uh, on the back garden and see birds on the fence or in the tree nearby, and Rosie might say, that looks like a sparrow or a blue tit or a chaffinch. And I might reply, well, at the moment, it just looks like a fuzzy bird to me because I wasn't wearing my glasses. And the man in the story has received partial healing. He can see some things, but they're a bit fuzzy. And so Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes once more. And with this second touch, we're told that uh, Jesus heals the man. His eyes were opened and his sight restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sends him home, but wanting, wanting to avoid unwanted attention, um, he tells him to keep things to himself for now, not to broadcast to his neighbors about his healing and how he can see again, which must have been quite a difficult thing to do because I'm sure he just wanted to tell everyone, but that's what Jesus asked him. Well, when we look at the story, um, we might wonder why did Mark include this particular story because we know that if we read in John's gospel that uh, John says that there are so many stories of Jesus that you couldn't write enough books that the, the world just could not contain the number of books that would be written. And so the gospel writers had to just limit themselves to uh, a selection of healings and miracles that Jesus did. But why would Mark include a story of this unusual two-stage healing well, there are probably a number of ways we can answer that, but first of all, we can trust that Mark was inspired by God's Spirit to choose to include this story here. It tells us, for, for example, that God acts in different ways with different people. Sometimes answers come right away, and sometimes they come progressively in different stages. And that's an encouragement for us all to trust that God is able to give us what we need, when and how we need it, whether or not it's what we expect. In the sequence of events, Jesus and the disciples were moving from one place to another, and Bethsaida, where the healing took place, was at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And then they went um, on a bit further north to Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus was to ask his disciples a very important question, which we'll come to in a moment. But apart from that, it would appear that Mark includes this particular healing story because it illustrates what was happening in the lives of the disciples. And remember, they had been spending quite a lot of time with Jesus by this point. It seems that uh, Mark draws our attention with this story because just as the blind man's eyes were opened and he was able to see clearly and to see Jesus right there before him, for the disciples, their spiritual eyesight, their understanding was being opened to see Jesus in a new way. They might have been walking and talking with him for almost three years and have seen with their physical eyes Jesus almost every day. But did they really see who Jesus was? Did they really understand the person that was showing them so much and astounding the crowds and, and them with his teaching and with the miracles? Everyone could come and see Jesus uh, when they heard he was coming to town as such to hear him teach or uh, to bring someone that needed to be healed. But how many actually saw who Jesus really was? And this is the great reveal moment in the Gospels. 
The next few verses show that Peter and the disciples were beginning to see who Jesus was, but they still couldn't see clearly and understand what Jesus was about to do. In Jesus' conversation with Peter, it was a bit like the two-stage healing of the blind man. When Jesus asked the questions, who do people say I am? And then, who, what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? Peter shows that his eyes have been opened to see Jesus, but he's not entirely um, seeing clearly. He's still seeing a bit of a fuzzy picture, if you like, of who and what Jesus is all about. Because Peter, in answer to Jesus' question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? He gets it right. He says, you are the Messiah. The Messiah means the one that God has promised to send from the days of the Old Testament to save people from their sins. He's God's anointed savior to deliver and free people from their captivity to sin and evil. And so Peter is spot on in his first reply. But then he gets it completely wrong. Uh, when Jesus goes on to say what will happen uh, next and how he must die and rise to life again, Peter just doesn't get it at all. And we find that Peter's reply to Jesus, um, which is, is given more fully in the Gospel of Matthew, is that never, Lord, he said, you shall never, this shall never happen to you. I'm sure we can understand why Peter might say this because um, he was concerned for Jesus. But Jesus is very strong in his reply and he turns to Peter and his disciples and says, get behind me, Satan, which is quite a strong thing to say. And then he goes on to say, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Well, we might wonder why Jesus was so sharp in his reply to Peter's uh, concern. But Peter's words were completely against God's plan and purpose for Jesus. Jesus had been sent by God to die for the sins of the world, to take our place, to overcome sin and death and the power of Satan in people's lives. He came so that we might be broken free to become God's children by faith in him. But Peter was seeing things only from a human point of view of uh, preserving Jesus' ministry. And he needed his eyes to be opened further to understand God's way of salvation. Well, let's take a, a moment to reflect on this experience of Peter for ourselves. Because I wonder how we would answer these questions that Jesus puts to his disciples. First of all, who do people say that I am? Well, we might be more comfortable with that question because we can look around us and see that a few people acknowledge that Jesus is someone special, a good teacher even. Some might go further and say he's God's son, the savior of the world. But the really important question comes for us next. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, the difference is that it's about our own experience of Jesus Christ. Is he just a person in a book that we might say prayers to and even sing hymns about? Or is he a very real person to us? Someone that we can have a real relationship with? Someone that we can walk and talk by faith with day by day. There's a big difference, you see, because one is about a person who is distant. The other is about God with us. That was a name given to Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, our Savior and Lord, leading us along life's way, staying close by our side and dwelling in our hearts. You may have heard the story of one of the greatest preachers of the 18th century, John Wesley, and he became a clergyman in the Church of England and tried for years to make himself acceptable to God, trying to keep God's law inwardly and outwardly. He got up early, he prayed, he denied himself, he 
tried to earn forgiveness and peace by increasing his efforts. But he was constantly burdened in his soul. On the 24th of May, 1738, at 8.45 p.m., he heard someone reading a book by the great reformer Martin Luther. And he later recalled, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and as assurance was given to me that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Well, John Wesley became one of the greatest preachers ever, preaching 40, 000, over 40,000 sermons centered on freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. And he had, as he put it, exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. He was free at last from the burdens that he was carrying. My own journey of faith has included different moments of discovery and times when the reality of Jesus as Savior has become clearer. My late teens, for example, I remember at the church singing, you're alive, you're alive, you've risen, and the Graham Kendrick hymn, Led Like a Lamb, and my own spiritual eyes were open to see Jesus in a new way. It was like a, a stirring in my heart, and the head knowledge that I had became heart knowledge. It was, if you like, my own um, experience that, as John Wesley said, having my heart strangely warmed by God's Spirit. And there have been other times in my walk that God has made things clearer. Well, whatever our experience, the important thing is seeing who Jesus is and knowing him as our own Savior and Lord, who loved us so much that he died in our place on the cross. But when we discover Jesus' true identity as our loving Savior, we're able to follow him in obedience, not only as servants, but also as members of God's family who may know the friendship of our Lord. Because it's not always an easy path, in fact, it can be very hard. And that involves letting go of anything that's not helpful for us. But when we see who Jesus is, and trust in him, we'll want to be and to go wherever he leads us because we want to be in God's loving presence every day. And this is the way that Jesus describes to us in, in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Well, it might sound like a very hard thing, but remember this is the way of life that we may walk only with God's help and strength. Going Jesus' way and following him is going to be at odds with the ways of our world, which place such emphasis on, on self, on getting whatever we want. But when we think about it more deeply, as Jesus says in the next couple of verses, it makes sense in the long run. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, Jesus says, yet forfeit their soul? Or who can anyone give? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jim Elliot, who was a missionary who died trying to share the good news of Jesus, puts it this way. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Seeing the reality of Jesus as our gracious Lord and Savior and friend enables us to follow him. He gives us the grace and the courage when we lean on him by faith to stand strong when we face temptations or pressures to do or say anything that's against what God has spoken to us. For Jesus calls us to be true followers. As he says in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes 
in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Our Bible reading today ends with a promise in chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, some are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. And if you were to read on into chapter 9, we'd read that six days later, Peter, James, and John are given a very special privilege. They see Jesus' glory revealed on a mountain where he's transfigured before them. Jesus' appearance is dazzling. But that wasn't the only way the disciples saw God's kingdom come with power, as Jesus promised. After Jesus' death and resurrection and return to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, God sent his Spirit to be with all believers. And that same Spirit is given to us who trust in Jesus as our Savior. So let's ask God to open our eyes to see his reality and to see more clearly the glory of his Son, Jesus. Jesus, who came to reveal God's amazing love for us, opening the eyes of the blind, opening our hearts and our minds to see God's love, dying for our sins so we can be forgiven, so we can receive the gift of life in God's family forever. And let's follow our Lord along the path of his selfless love, listening to his word and promises and living for his everlasting glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your great love and grace towards us that uh, you meet us where we are, however we are with our understanding, with our, um, our sight of you, that you're the one who opens our eyes. And we ask that you would open our eyes to you, that we would see you for who you are, our gracious Savior, the Lord who wants to walk with us day by day, to pull us up out of the um, circumstances which uh, drag us down, to lead us forward in freedom and joy and peace. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to all that you have for us and that you would help us to walk that path of selfless love, that you would help us to see that walking with you is the greatest thing. So we thank you, Lord, for your love for us and for your generous provision for all our needs for your gift of forgiveness, for life everlasting, and every spiritual blessing out of the riches of Christ Jesus our Lord. So we ask that this day you would bless and multiply the gifts that we bring for the work of your kingdom, as we also present ourselves to live for you and for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's close our time of worship as we sing our final hymn today, Be Thou My Vision, Mission Praise number 51.
And now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>